Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us today. As usual, we'd like to send out our heartfelt gratitude for you all joining us. And uh, we really appreciate you being here again today. As usual, Sandy McKay is with me. Hey, Rob. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thankful for everyone uh, who is here listening again um, in our 10th year. Keep it going. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm I'm doing a little bit of this uh, the soft radio announcer voice. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and go to this one now. So this is this is it. And uh, you know, I don't blame you if you do that too, because I hear you're not feeling too great this morning. But you're you're trooping through this anyway. So thank we'll you. We got through it. We got through it. If the voice sounds a little off, um, it's really not because I was on vacation for the last two weeks and uh, hanging out in the Caribbean. It's, it's truthfully not, but maybe it is in some way, shape, or form. Um, but uh, nothing new to you. You get that. You get that opportunity every day, right? Yeah. The sun. Yeah, we do actually. <laughs> uh, it, it did rain for like a week here, which is I'm told very, very unusual. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had like a pretty much a full week of rain and, and cloudiness, but, uh, and they're saying like, basically that's the equivalent of, you know, snow in July kind of deal in Canada. So it was a little bit weird, but yeah, the sun's back out now and it's all good. Um, you know, I just want to say, as usual, people who are listening should go over to our website, breakthroughreipodcast.ca, listen to all the episodes that we've put out, uh, get in touch with the guests, and that's a great place to do it. And they can also get our free gift. They can get our free gift, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate, which is uh, still as relevant as ever for people to go download and jump on our email list and uh, never miss out on all the fun stuff we got going on uh internationally i suppose now for the last few years yeah and uh like sandy you've got events going on all the time you've got that new meetup group uh as well as like all the stuff your brokerage does so you know people that join in can get all the information on that as well as uh, anything we're doing here like i haven't the only event i did was the one back in november i don't have any plans for another one yet but Um, I have had a lot of people, especially from the show, reach out to me and just want, you know, more information on uh, on Costa Rica and the buying process here and and how that all works. So anyone listening that uh, that that wants to, you know, get more information on that and just learn, you know, some of the ins and outs, challenges, uh, opportunities that there are here, reach out to me because I I would love to talk and share everything that I know. So. Uh, best way to get in touch with me is rob at mrbreakthrough.ca as usual. I say that at the end most of the time, but maybe it's good to say it up front every once in a while. That's perfect because I know even our guest coming on today was uh, spending some time there recently, I think. So there's a, oh, is that right? a bit of a connection yeah. there too. And that's a okay. great place to go visit and invest possibly. And uh, lots of strategies that I know Canadians are definitely eating up over in that area. Um And by the way, I do want to, you mentioned our Vaughn Investors Club, but I should shout that out. But we've had some awesome guests there recently that I know have been longtime listeners of the show. Some of them I've met for the first time and they've said they've listened to, to us for like five plus years. So that's been super cool to connect uh, in person with some, some new faces. So uh, thanks to all the guests that have showed up to that. Um, we're doing them every month. We've got another one coming up in, uh, in uh, it should be out right around the time this episode is coming out actually in uh, late April. And, uh, and we're having them every month. So April, I know we're talking about some rent to own, and uh and what that process looks like and just sharing great investment knowledge but also giving you a chance to connect with uh 
with not just myself, a bunch of other great investors and uh, and people doing doing things in this business. So, yeah. Hey, I just wanted to. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, people should go to that too. It's like I I, ha- I I wish I could go to that. I have no opportunity to get there though, unfortunately. Well, it's a long journey, but one of these days, maybe one of these days when you come back. That just reminded me. I wanted to read you something that I got on Instagram. Uh, a message the other day. This guy says, my name is Luke. I am a broker uh, in Ontario. Uh, I was back. I was just backing out of the parking lot at the grocery store in Potrero. And you told me both ways were clear so I could go. LOL. I've listened to a number of your podcasts with Sandy over the years, which have taught me a bunch uh, before my wife and I uh, birded up in Hamilton. Anyway, I thought you had a familiar face when I saw you. I was thinking, where do I know that dude from? Then it clicked once I drove away. Envious of your life here in CR. Love it here. So that wow. was kind of funny. That's funny. Yeah. Small world. And uh, and I guess they're gone now, but uh, next time the guy's back, we're going to hook up and have a drink or whatever. Cool. <clears throat> but uh, iTunes. People should go there and write us a rating and review as well. Five stars is always good. And yeah. obviously helps us grow the show and get us great guests. And uh, we're really appreciative of everyone who's done that and continues to do that and support the show. And one of these days I am going to get some of those reviews because we've got some good ones with a bunch of suggestions and, uh, and some good shout outs and, and things like that. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read some of the reviews coming up in the next show or two, probably. Perfect. Uh, that's it, man. I think we can get into this interview now. <clears throat> Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's bring on uh, David Justizia here from Vision Mortgage Group and Vision Capital Partners. And uh, David, I'll do a quick little uh, background on who you are. And then if you want to add to it, feel free. Um, but you are uh, driven by your experience in the wealth management space. You got a passion for helping investors create a clear vision for growing generational wealth through real estate investing. And Lots of experience working in custom financing solutions for investors of all sorts of shapes and sizes and um, helping your clients turn their dreams into reality through uh, through real estate and obviously major expert on the financing side of real estate, especially. So thanks for being here. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Robin Sandy. It's uh, great to be here. So as usual, we're going to get started with uh, the uh, tried and true question of how you got started in real estate investing. Yeah, that's uh, it's actually a great question. The, the journey was uh, perhaps a little bit unique for myself. So we bought our first property, uh, my wife, girlfriend at the time, um, working uh, as an admin in the dental field. And I was uh, actually just coming out of the tail end of my university education at a small part-time job as a TA with the university. And we had saved up enough for a down payment. No way we could actually afford to not still live at home and decided that the best way to do uh, our next steps was to buy a condo to rent. And so we, uh, we picked up a condo in Oakville. Um, this was back in 16. I think it was like 220,000 or $215,000 in Glen Abbey. And, uh, and we rented it out for, I don't know what it was, 15, 1600 a month. It, it, cash flowed on day one for a basic single family condo with 20% down. And, uh, and we grew from there. And, and so we had actually acquired two investment properties before we moved out of our parents' houses. And uh, so that really, that really gave us the kickoff to 
as we kind of grew together and, and got married and you know moved into our own place it really gave us the opportunity to understand this world get a little bit of a taste for this world at a pretty young age um and be able to kind of dive in and, and grow from there and then you know as i moved up through the financial planning and mortgage and, and wealth management worlds um you know i just became more and more focused and, and as a team we've just continued to grow the portfolio it's super uh you know, smart way to get started in real estate investing that you probably didn't even appreciate how smart it was at the time. But, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people just, especially, I mean, people are living at home longer now in general, but they're also yeah. doing that probably without the, the investment uh, strategy that you, you took on there. And I mean, if you think back on how impactful that's been on, on your life and in, in starting that way and not rushing to, you know, have nice things, I guess, or spend it on whatever else you could have spent it on material stuff. I mean, that's probably made a pretty big impact. Huge kickstart. I mean, one of the biggest challenges I think of, of getting into this world is, is just getting kind of that seed capital, right? It's just having enough to kind of kick off and grow. Um, and I think the way that we ended up approaching that just really facilitated kind of the ability for long-term growth. Yeah. Because I would assume that the, uh, the desire would be like to move into one of those places, right? Like, you know, it's we, kind yeah. of hard to resist the idea of, Hey, we bought two houses. Let's like, let's go move into one of them. So funny story. We actually did. Um, but it was very, it was, it was a little bit hilarious. So we knew that on a long-term basis, there was no way we were going to be able to afford what we bought at, at the incomes. I mean, I wasn't even working full time yet. Um, but we had determined that when we bought that first one in Oakville, that until a tenant was ready to move in, we said, oh, well, you know what? Let's just, let's just move in. So we, we dragged in like a mattress on the floor and like a handful of pieces of furniture. We moved in for six weeks, basically just for fun. Um, well, we got it listed for rent and rented it, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, there was certainly a drive to, to want to, you know, not live at home anymore, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know what, we knew we had the down payment and, but ultimately we knew that, uh, wasn't going to set us up for success if, if we had to incur those kind of costs, which, I mean, looking back now, I think the the mortgage on that condo was like 616 bucks um, with 20% down. So, it, you know, pretty laughable in terms of where things have gone long-term, but yeah, it certainly, certainly set us up for success. Well, the thing about that, that strategy is you can do that. You know, a lot of people, Oakville probably a lot more challenging today to do that for a, you know, 20 something year old, but that strategy doesn't, require you to invest necessarily where you live or want to live or need to live you could do that by purchasing that condo could be you know somewhere a lot more affordable and you don't have to be there and living there and yet you're in the market absolutely and i i talk to a lot of prospective buyers about this when when they come to me looking for this kind of combo primary residence you know investment opportunity and they're in toronto they're in scarborough they're in Mississauga, and it's like man i don't know if that's going to work so you know why don't you go rent somewhere nice that's close to work and you know have the commute you need and have the lifestyle you need and live in the city you need and take your down payment and take your income and, and go buy where the investment makes more sense and, and where you can afford to do so um so you're right sandy that's a it's a fantastic opportunity for, for a lot of people so let's start with um what are some of the main differences between i mean there's there's huge differences between residential and commercial lending but talk about the differences and why maybe 
the the people are sort of leaning towards the uh, commercial lending now as a as an opportunity uh, that maybe people, especially on the smaller side of investing, weren't looking into before. Yeah, I I think you know last week I did a <clears throat> presentation on um, limiting beliefs and and I framed it in a in a category of saying, hey, look, here, here's a commercial opportunity that I had executed and you know, here's the limiting beliefs that I had to break through to get there. And one of the things that I think historically, uh, at least especially during my time in the banking industry, commercial lending was kind of looked at as like, uh, you don't wanna have to go there, like keep it between one to four. You don't wanna have to broach that barrier. You're gonna pay 10 times what a, a residential appraisal costs. Your legal fees will be huge. You're gonna be paying fees for the lenders. You're gonna be, putting more down, the rates are higher, the amortizations are worse. Like it, it was just a very um, unattractive idea that, that somebody would have to go to some kind of commercial lending strategy to invest. And, you know, I think as you get deeper and deeper into the industry, um, there's a couple really key differences. And I think the first and most important one for people is scalability. Um, so when we look at where the residential lenders are sitting today, which is that, you know, most of the banks, there's, there's outliers to this rule, but like, it's pretty hard to get a, a lender to do more than like five residential properties. There's, there's ways to get to 10, there's ways to get even a little bit more than 10. But once you start getting up into those kind of high single digit, low teen numbers, the ability to continue acquiring financing um, through traditional a residential lending does get significantly more difficult. So the scalability of commercial is phenomenal because the commercial lenders actually um, like when you have more properties and more experience and more total debt and a larger portfolio, uh, as opposed to the residential lenders where each subsequent purchase makes it harder. And so the idea that, you know, you can use that to have kind of an infinite scale is I think the first really important aspect. The other big thing that I'm seeing a lot of real estate investors need to go to commercial lending or um, probably really should go to commercial lending for is that the loan is predominantly qualified based on the asset you're buying, not the person buying it. And so what that means is if we take an apartment building, you know, whether I'm buying it or Rob, you're buying it or Sandy, you're buying it, likelihood would be that I would be able to achieve similar lending terms, regardless of, of which one of us is buying it, because the lending terms are going to be more heavily based on what we're buying. It does create a little bit of a challenge because commercial lending doesn't have kind of a similar pre-approval process that a residential lending has. Um, but what this really means for a lot of people is it's, it's that journey towards the release from nine to five, right? And, and one of the things that I think holds real estate investors, those that have built decent portfolios, those that have, have gained the cash flows they're looking for back from leaving their employment world is their inability to get future debt. Right. So, hey, I'm a real estate investor. I have 15 doors. I have 20 doors. As soon as I leave my job, nobody's going to lend to me anymore. Right. And that's not true in the commercial world. Um, so I think that's another huge piece of it is, is the scalability. And the last thing I think is with these new programs that have come out, um, the ability for in today's world, lower rates and higher loan to value and longer amortization is really helping the cash flow equation. So um you know in the in the most extreme cases we're seeing opportunities in the commercial space where we've been able to achieve 95 percent loan to value with 50-year amortizations you know at rates right now in the high threes low fours 
we compare that to what a traditional bank might lend on a duplex, right? You're tapping out at 80% loan to value. You're definitely tapping out at 30-year amortization. And you're likely looking, depending on fixed or variable rates in the five, sixes, I'm seeing some of the lenders even have the variable rates as high as like the low sevens right now. Um, so being able to extract that higher level of loan to value oftentimes allows for a, a better outcome on a burst strategy, right? A more, a stronger likelihood that you're gonna have your capital recapture. That longer amortization going out to as long as 50 years really helps with the cash flow. Um, and then that rate being where they are for the CMHC insured debt right now certainly helps the lending cost. Um, so that combination, I think just, we're, we're in a much better position for where the market is, where the rates have gone, where the prices have gone um, in that commercial lending side. You got you to gotta say some of those terms and numbers again there, because I think, you know, some people fell off their, uh, off their chair. Yeah, yeah. Other. You did kind of glaze over it, almost like it, it sounded normal, which those, <laughs> yeah, those terms kind of blew me away. Yeah. So, um, so I'll, I'll jump into maybe a little bit of a, a deep explanation on that. Um, so when you get into the commercial lending space, Typically, we're talking about um, CMHC lending, and most people know CMHC as the insurance body through the government that allows people to put like 5% down as a first-time buyer. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that they have a multifamily commercial investment arm. Um, and so that insured mortgage, uh, there's a couple different tranches, a couple different pro products, but in the MLI product, which is kind of the, the highest and best. Um, they go up to 50-year amortizations and they go up to 95% loan-to-value. Uh, and keeping in mind, this can be done on a purchase or a refinance, unlike uh, a traditional CMHC owner-occupied home, which you can only leverage that opportunity on purchase. Um, and so what a lot of investors are doing, and, and our firm at, at Vision Capital on the commercial side specializes predominantly in multifamily rehabilitation, is you know investors are coming in buying buildings that are underperforming and then they're they're doing the improvements they're stabilizing the rent roll they're doing everything they need to do and then they're going to cmhc for this high leverage high amortization low rate strategy and depending on the loan size like that in 2023 I've, I've funded everything from about like high threes to mid fours on that um and so the the combination of those three things just makes for tremendous potential in terms of your ability to recuperate capital and um, and debt service and, and create cash flow. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. And I don't want to glaze over it. Um, let's talk a little bit about if there's anything significant to mention here, because you said it doesn't necessarily matter who's buying it, but there must be, because you worded it that way, there must be some kind of difference between. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think the thing to understand about that is, um, break it down further into two segments depends on if we're doing stabilized lending or if we're doing project lending so if the building definitely qualifies for its own mortgage the rents are all stabilized the building we're just going to sit it we're just going to buy the building and sit on it or we've already done the project to the building and we're just going to refinance it and sit on it um, there is the minimum net worth requirements there is some liquidity requirements they, they do want to see experience um, so there's some like soft requirements but the building is predominantly holding its own. When it comes to the project lending, the building cannot carry the mortgage. We know we're going to be in a negative cash flow position as you go through this project. The loan is interest only. It's higher rates. There's going to be vacancies. Those types of loans are a little bit more borrower dependent 
because we have to show the strength, the experience, the liquidity that, hey, if the construction project goes 100K over budget, does the person have the ability to carry this? If it takes 24 months instead of 12 months, does the person have the ability to float that extra cost, right? So they want to see a little bit more strength because there's more risk. Um, but for the most part, you know, barring a 25% net worth requirement and a reasonable level of experience for the lenders to believe that you can execute on, on that stabilized management of that property, um, the CMHC requirements are mathematically almost completely based on the building. So in terms of figuring out how big of a loan they'll give you, that is none of the personal stuff goes into that equation. The softer stuff, the covenant stuff, the guarantor stuff, that's what is kind of based on your personal situation. Uh, so it's not going to impact your loan amount. It may impact, you know, whether or not they feel like they want all the units rented before they'll fund, or it may impact whether or not they're going to want a personal guarantee from you or a partial personal guarantee or no personal guarantee. Um, so all that type of stuff feeds into some of the other aspects of the loan, not necessarily the loan amount. And so the, what, what, what type of person does that make sense for? And well, I wanted to ask two questions on that, really. Who, who does that actually make sense for? Because it's almost a too good to be true sort of thing. And it maybe can be in some cases, potentially, I, I, I believe. Um, and what, is the, what are the cons of it? Because it's, it's so like too good to be true almost. Yeah. There's almost you know, some sort of people or situations where you go, that's actually just doesn't make sense for this strategy for you know what reason what, what considerations do people have to have around those two questions uh, absolutely so who does it make sense for um i think high level anybody that's going to invest in larger multifamily real estate so um, i should add the minimum size is five units can go up to whatever there's no cap um there can be a little bit of a mixed use portion but it has to be at least 70 percent residential um Pretty much every client that we work with that requires a high level of leverage and is working with a larger multifamily building, um, CMHC is the make sense exit strategy, especially in today's market. And that's not always the case. And I think that's important to note. We backtrack two years, year and a half. Uh, if we go get a commercial loan today, we're probably paying about 6%. If I go get a CMHC loan today, we might be paying 4%. So and on a regular commercial loan, it's a 25-year amortization, 75% loan-to-value maximum, all that type of stuff. One of the cons with CMHC is there's an insurance premium. The underwriting process is lengthy, talking like three, four months. Um, it, it's a very arduous process to go through. When the rate spreads didn't have this level of significance, Right when we could go to a bank or a conventional commercial lender and get a two percent rate, and the CMHC rate was one point eight percent, the the value of going CMHC, paying that potentially substantial insurance premium, going through that super arduous process, didn't always make sense. Uh, especially if you didn't need high leverage, right? If it's like, hey, I'm going to buy this building, I got fifty percent to put down, or I already own this building and I want to refinance fifty percent of my equity out of it. At those lower loan to values, it may not have made sense to do that. Um, what I'm seeing in today's market is that people are more strapped. There's less capital floating around. Everything that's being done tends to be being done at a higher loan to value, right? And then now we're at a point where the rate spread between those types of loans can be as high as 
And so although the process is arduous and although it's very cookie cutter uh, and you do have to have a stabilized building to do it, it can't be a project site. Um, for the most part, unless you're really low loan to value, CMHC is the make sense approach today. A couple challenges with it. The only options typically offered are five and 10 year fixed terms. So it is long-term play. Uh, the penalties to get out of those terms can be insane. Um, and you can pay anywhere from a one to five and a quarter percent premium on the loan amount that gets added to the loan amount, similar to how like residential CMHC lending would work. Uh, so there can be a pretty big upfront premium that gets tacked onto the loan. But I think for the most part, it is the final resting place for most multifamily apartment buildings. That's typically what people are working towards. It's usually not the starting place, right? It's typically that we've stabilized this. It's at the state that we want it to be at. And then we take it to CMHC. So a lot of these are a lot of these are projects typically, right? So, and I know you deal with a lot of that. So they're they're doing private or they're doing cash or they're doing something probably probably a lot of privates, I would just expect on the start. Is that um it? no, we don't use a lot of privates occasionally. No? Um there is a strong uh, this I think is a pretty big misconception throughout the industry. And maybe I'll come back to what you did what you deem private, but there's a lot of large institutional capital lenders out there whose bread and butter is project funding on multifamily. And so they will come in typically with some sort of acquisition and construction facility. So might be able to have a lender come to the table. One I'm in the process of right now, they gave me 75% uh, loan to value on my purchase. They gave me a 100% um, construction facility. So they're gonna reimburse 100% of construction expenses. And they did the entire facility at Prime Plus Two on an open loan. So um, put comparison on that. I mean, today that is an 8.7% rate, which kind of makes it seem a little bit like private, um, but it's not too bad of a deal uh, at 8.7 and Prime Plus Two to put that in comparison in the broker space right now, a rental variable with Scotiabank on a residential file is Prime Plus 0.4. So it's 1.6% more expensive and what Scotiabank would charge for a conventional rental today. And that's on an interest-only open loan with a advanced facility and a full 100% coverage construction facility. So um, those tend to be more the types of lenders that we use as opposed to private for the projects that, that make sense to do so. What would that look like if you were comparing that to a, let's say a duplex, um, something something more traditionally simple and a starter type of investment for yeah. people? What, what would that, what would, you're not going to, well, you could, but it would look different in terms of like that 100% construction um, components. And like, how would, yeah. how would it, can someone do that same thing on a duplex or no? Yeah. So I, I hesitate to say no. There's, there's privates out there that'll do a lot. Um, you know, appetite has been shifting, I will say. When it comes to like a duplex loan, let's say you're a well-qualified borrower. That would be the example I gave here. Somebody who's a generally well-qualified borrower, good income, good net worth, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you'll probably get 80% loan to value on your purchase. Uh, that probably won't be on an open loan. So maybe you go variable or a one-year fix or something. There will be some likely some sort of penalties associated with getting rid of it. Um, it's unlikely that that lender is going to also provide construction financing. So usually that's going to be like, hey, I'm going to close at 80% loan to value with a bank. And then I'm walking over here to a private and at, you know, the rates right now, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, 17%, 
is going to then lend me some sort of construction draw facility in second position behind the bank, but let's hope the bank doesn't find out because in a lot of cases, it's probably not actually allowed to do that. Um, so you're kind of cobbling the situation together, right? Using kind of a multitude of lenders. Uh, and in all likelihood, it's a structure that, I'm not saying it can't work, lots of people done it successfully, um, but it just, it doesn't make as much sense necessarily. But the other thing to remember is that if you're buying a duplex, you know, the likelihood that your construction component is more than like a hundred or $200,000 is pretty low, right? If you're buying an apartment building, you know, that particular deal, the advanced facility was 1.2 million and the construction facility was 600K. So, you know, we're talking about a total loan size of, of $1.8 million. The difference on that, if I had to go pay first position private at 10% and I had to go pay second position construction private at 12, 13, 14% on $1.8 million versus paying 8.7% open on the whole thing, I think the lender fee on that file was like half a percent. Um, that's actually a huge difference, right? And so having these lenders be able to understand and create custom credit facilities based on your project, your budget, the as is, as complete value of your building, and then us help craft this solution with these lenders to say, well, let's create a lending facility that allows them to facilitate what they need specifically. Uh, that's the difference in the approach with commercial is that everything is predominantly custom credit where residential is very cookie cutter. Here's Scotia's lending product. You can have it or you don't have to. Here's TDs, right? Um, with the other commercial lenders, it's like, let's create a product. Let's pitch them a scenario. Maybe it has an interest to serve. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe um, it has construction financing. Maybe it doesn't. How is it drawn? You know, at what point can we take the draws? All of that is negotiable. And so we can kind of craft a facility that is like specifically for the project at hand. So is this an obvious shift you're seeing of these smaller investors uh, moving over to do do some bigger five plus unit buildings? I think I think it's uh, what's the best way to put this. It's obvious to me, right? Like when I when I have discussions with people and somebody's like, "Yeah, I have like my nine properties, and you know, can you qualify me for another one?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> I can't. You're, you're tapped." Like we're, we're out of bank financing here. You're, you've, you've expanded that runway as far as you can. Um, it's, it's a really natural transition for people who have done a lot of this. I think there's, there's a huge amount of opportunity in it. Typically speaking, outside of all of the, like, the commercial lending benefits, um, one of the hugest opportunities is like the, the price per door tends to come down significantly. Um, so that duplex that you paid 500,000 for, you wouldn't be paying 2.5 million if you bought 10 units in all likelihood, right? You might be able to acquire those 10 units at 2 million or 1.7 million. So your, your price per door is collapsing, which helps your net operating income. It's also way easier to manage. I've seen people, I've talked to people that have 10 properties scattered from like Ajax to like Niagara. And it's all like single family homes and duplexes. And it's like draw a three hour circle around the GTA and they're driving all over the place doing everything. It's like, you could sell all of that and consolidate it into one 12 unit apartment building, have the same number of doors and have you know one place to deal with and then hire a property management company to do it. Um, so I think the biggest resistance to it though, is that the intensity and the capital requirements to get in the door are much higher. Um, there's not a lot of commercial opportunity that we see out there from a project standpoint 
that you can get into with under five, six, seven hundred K of capital. Um, okay. But I mean, theoretically, let's just say, you know, since we're talking about smaller stuff. So if you found, look, I'm being very theoretical here. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, just the idea I'm trying to uh, see if this kind of thing works. So if you were to find something that performed well, you know, um, has a decent cap rate. It doesn't really need any improvements. Let's say it's a small mm -hmm. five unit building somewhere in Northern Ontario for, for the sake of the story. Um, you're so something like that, you could actually get financing at 95%, <clears throat> roughly like four, four and a half percent interest mm -hmm. with a 50 year amortization. Because so like, to me, to me, then this sounds like a no-brainer. I should be running out right now and trying to find things that perform decently. Don't need too much in the way of uh, construction costs or or uh, any kind of like turnover because they're, they're already running well. Uh, so theoretically, something like this, very repeatable. I can go out yep. and do this over and over and over again. So, so theoretically, yes. Practically, we're seeing something different. So a couple important pieces to note, um, and I don't know if we're going to have time to go into it today, but the 95% and 50 amortization is restricted to something called the MLI product, which is very hard to get into unless you're doing the project yourself, because it, it has some affordability and some energy efficiency metrics that it would be unlikely that just a random building that you find on MLS would have the opportunity that it's met those guidelines without you having to do anything to it. But even if we claw back to CMHC's standard program, which is 85% loan to value and 40 year amortization, um, still juicy. So would that be the standard one though? Because that I would wanna, be the standard I one. I want to like present people with a more, yeah. you know, practical. So if, if, if we walk that back to the standard one, which is 85 and 40, the biggest challenge that I'll tell you right now that you're going to have in this market is that at those numbers to get to 85% loan to value, if, I, if you take, if you come back to what I mentioned about the building having to qualify, that mm. means that the net operating income of the building has to support a loan equivalent to 85% of your purchase price. And so at a 1.2 debt coverage ratio, it means you have to have a dollar and 20 cents of free cash flow for every dollar of debt payment. The 85% loan to value is the limitation. But what I would say is you would be very hard pressed to go out there and find an existing asset with incomes that would actually qualify for that 85% right out of the gate. Okay. So what's the more so, likely scenario? All over the map. Um, it, it depends on the building. I would say, you know, for what we would call like stabilized assets. So we have, you know, the, the market, the rents are not grossly under market rent, right? We're at or close to market rent. Um, it depends on the cap rate of the area. So the higher of a cap rate area you're mm -hmm. buying in, the more likely that the debt servicing is going to be there. So if you go buy in Toronto, I can guarantee you're probably looking at like 50, 60% loan to value, right? If you go buy in Hamilton, I've seen stuff that can cash flow out of the gate and, and cover like 70, 75. Um, and we actually had one, I'll, I'll just, I'll share this. And, and I guess it's because I want people to know it's possible. Um, we had a client buy a sixplex that we were able to achieve 95% loan to value 50 amortization out of the gate in Hamilton. Brand new build, uh, 2018 build. It met the MLI requirements out of the gate. 
All the client needed to do was tenant it. And we were able to achieve the full 95.50 right off an MLS purchase. So I guess I'm saying this because it's important to understand that it's not impossible, but it's not going to be every day that you're going to have the opportunity to do that. Um, You start going out to Windsor, up to Sudbury, Timmins, you start getting these higher cap rates. Debt servicing is easier. That's where you can start pushing, getting close to that 85 right off the cuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But the important thing to understand about that is in that model, there's no capital recapture. Right. So that, that down payment you are putting in, although it might be small, um, you're not getting it back. Right. And so that's where I find a lot of the investors that have a more fixed pool of capital are more interested in undertaking projects that have that burr opportunity. Right. So that they can start it on a project loan. They can do some improvements. They can change the value of the building. Then they can refinance the building and have all or most of their capital back. And that's going to give them then the ability to go do it again. It would be exactly the same as how a residential investor would deploy a typical bird strategy, right? I'm going to buy something that I can create value with. Once I've created that additional value, I'm going to refinance it. And then I have my money. I'm going to do it again. Um, it's just, this tends to be easier and, and higher loan to value to do that with. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the way I see it is, I've like, so when I talk about student rental properties in Peterborough, um, which is, which is a lot of what we do in Ontario, uh, um, you know, for the most part, those aren't the kind of investments that you're going to be refinancing because when the bank looks at them, it's just not the model that they want to take on. Right. So, so a lot of times you're, you're getting a much higher cash flow, but you know, that initial capital investment is invested. And so the way that I look at this here, if you, if you go to like Northern Ontario, you find a five unit building for 500 grand, you put in 25,000 and that is invested into your investment. That's not bad. You know, no, you can meet some of these requirements and get like a, you know, a a decent, you know, even 75, 80% loan to value. This sounds like a really good deal to me. Absolutely. The one other thing I'll add, which is important, is it's very difficult to get small CMHC loans. Okay. Um, sub seven figures is incredibly difficult to find any lender that's interested in doing it. Reason being, it's as much work for them to do a $10 million loan as it is for them to do a $500,000 loan. And so those that have allowed us or worked with us on a relationship basis to do that for some of the smaller clients have been charging exorbitant fees to do so, which I do understand because it is a ton of work. And so for them to do that for a five, six, $700,000 opportunity is tough. Um, But usually that space starts getting really competitive once you break over that 2 million mark um, in terms of the opportunities. But you know, back to your point, if you can find something at 85% loan to value for, you know, 2 million bucks, that's still only like, 300k down plus your closing costs like it's still not completely unattainable um for a lot of investors that are out there and one of the it's kind of one of the reasons that you know it's a good argument to get into that space anyways as well is that you can acquire okay it's a bit more work maybe on uh on a one like one purchase to one purchase of a duplex to a six bucks the six bucks maybe a little more complexity which i think why people tend to tend to go the easy route sometimes with a duplex but all said and done to buy three duplexes and go through that whole process, mm. you know, versus just one sixplex, 
Yeah. Probably look and look, a, lot, a lot less work. No, probably not. Not on the process to buy it. I would still say that it's, it's easier for me to do three residential duplexes than it is to do the one sixplex. But over the 10 years that you own it, it's way less work, right? So that, that initial setup piece is brutal. I'll just, I'll be really transparent. It's, it's, it's a long, arduous process that has some levels of ambiguity. The reporting costs are high, appraisals are expensive, environmental site assessments are expensive, all this type of stuff adds up, legal costs, broker fees, lender fees. Um, but then if you look at what that looks like over the next five or 10 years, your ability to scale and grow and the ease of management is, is much stronger. Um, and so it's really this like upfront pain, long-term game type of thing that this is really the, the path of least resistance. Um, I will mention to your, to your point, Rob, um, CMHC actually offers this for student housing as well. Okay. Um, there's like a whole separate special program specifically for student housing. Having said that, it's got to be like, I'll call it like purpose built. So we're not talking about we've cobbled together five rooms in a big single family home and rented them out to students. But for like larger purpose-built student rentals, CMHC offers similar types of terms. Uh, not quite as used in the loan to value. Because when you say cobbled together, yeah, I understand that in that a lot of places don't have any kind of like licensing or whatever for student rentals. They're basically mm -hmm. just throwing people into them. So what we're talking about there is, <clears throat> and not everybody does this, but most of the clients I'm working with will go through the process, get the uh, business license that they offer there, which is up to 10 bedrooms legally. Um, so the, they, you know, you go through the process, same as you would uh, for a basement apartment, right? And the, yeah. the city comes in and inspects it and you get a certificate, right? In that same way. So with something like that, I, so it's not cobbled together, but it's not purpose built, but you do have um, a certificate saying that it is a legal um, large dwelling unit, which is what they would call it there. So stuff like that, would that work? So or? it doesn't, so their, their qualification for student rental is more, um, you think of those like purpose built student buildings. Right. So it has, like a to be a, it has to be at least five units. And by units, I don't mean rooms, units. So like, right. if you think of like a student residence building, you might have a unit, it might have like three rooms attached to like a bathroom and a kitchen, for example. I gotcha. Right. Yeah. And then it would be a building with 10 of those. So like 30 potential students, and then it's like sets of three sharing rooms. So the, the minimum requirement is five units at least, and each unit can contain no more than four rooms. So it, it, it does have to be like, not just legal, but truly like purpose-built student housing supply around on or off campus, but around campus. Um, so it is a kind of a particular niche. It doesn't but work for kind of, kind of opportunity. That... But it is a great opportunity because you're still yeah. getting those rates, right? You're still getting, you know, uh, they do up to potentially 85% loan value. So the, like at, you know, four something percent rate. So it is very attractive financing, which again, mm -hmm. in a lot of cases allows people, and, and the beauty of all of this, is for the same amount of capital, these types of programs allow people to go bigger, right? It's that ability that, you know, we, we talk about, you know, residential investors, they're going from duplexes and now they want to look at a five and six plex. Well, you know, I help somebody sell off a large part of their portfolio and go buy a 16 unit apartment building, right? Like it isn't, you don't have to take that graduating step to, okay, I'm doing twos and I'm doing threes. Now I'm doing fives or sixes. I can do twos and then threes and now I'm doing 20. 
um, because of this high loan to value opportunity, the capital requirements are still very reasonable for people who've been in real estate for a while. Well, that student, that student uh, rental model sounds pretty, sounds pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, good. Sounds like a, a good cash flow. I mean, you got to find the right, you know, finding the right opportunity and in, in, in land or building or, you know, for that is, is probably one of the more challenging parts, but I mean, pretty interesting opportunity with that. I, I didn't, I didn't realize CMHC had a, had a, a program for that. Yeah, they do retirement homes too. So there's, there's lots of niche stuff with them um, mm -hmm. in terms of their, their process. What should, what should, um, so let's, let's talk about it. a lot of people, I think a lot of people don't really know or understand much about what they need to, you know, consider as, as someone's going about their investment journey or they're starting out, you know, what are the major things that an, someone or want, an investor or wannabe investor needs to know about their like credit or their finance ability? Like what are the things they need to have yeah. or be aware of so that they can set themselves up to buy these places or, or, or start to scale a, a bit of a decent, you know, size portfolio? So what I would say is um, probably the most important is having a vision of what you want to do. And, and I say that, and it sounds, it sounds, um, you know, like, like natural or whatever, but the, the problem that I see in a lot of cases with portfolios is that they're kind of cobbled together. Like there wasn't a clear structure. And I, I, I mean, I was as guilty of that myself, right? Like the first two properties under condos. Well, it was great at the time, but it, it, at this stage of my life, clearly wouldn't have fit the vision that I have for what constitutes a good rental property for me, right? So crafting that vision of, and Rob, to your point, like what type of investing do you want to be doing? Is it burst strategy investing with multifamily? Is it commercial multifamily? Is it student rentals and cash flow focused investing? Um, do we have lots of capital to deploy? Do we have to be able to burn all of our capital every time? Creating that really clear strategy of what you want to do is an important starting point because the biggest hindrance that I see for people being able to scale is the properties they already own and owning the wrong stuff. So, I mean, the basics still apply, like good credit, pay your bills, don't have high credit utilization. Um, you know, that's kind of goes without saying, right? Good income, again, not within most people's control, like, you know, strive to have the, the best income and employment. The, the more income you make on a residential side, the more I'm going to be able to qualify for. But again, largely not in somebody's control. Somebody doesn't go find a way to triple their income just because they want to buy rentals. They'll probably, they could triple their income. They'd probably do it regardless. Um, but the biggest hindrance, I think, is what you already own. There's so many times where I see a portfolio where the reason the property the person can't qualify for the next one is the other four things that they own don't make sense for the portfolio. They're negative cash flow. They're properties that are not washing on rental worksheets and they're becoming a drag on the existing portfolio. So by creating that vision first, you're able to make sure that everything you buy fits the model and that the thing that you're going to buy first doesn't hinder the thing that you want to buy second. And the thing that you buy second doesn't hinder the thing you want to buy third. Um, and so by having that really clear vision around how lenders lend, we can kind of help somebody take their vision and then craft it into what I'll call an attainable vision, which is here's what you want to do. Here's what I think is going to be achievable from like the type of lending that you're looking to do. And then if we can kind of make everything fit this bucket, we're going to not have resistance as you keep going along this journey. Um, and so I think that's probably the most important part and most overlooked part of 
um, portfolio scaling. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and you use the word vision, obviously that's your, your company name as well. So it like, ties in well with uh, what you're able to offer and a, a consultative approach to this, because that's what people really need. And it's the, it's the one of the biggest, if not the biggest reason that you should talk to mortgage brokers rather than just some average person you come across at a bank. I mean, they can do well and mean well and do a good job for you, but it might be setting you up not on purpose, but they might be setting you up for failure down the road by suggesting different products that just aren't, aren't quite the fit for them. And I think it's one of the most important things for investors to do is just make sure you're getting some consultative um, conversations going with, you know, mortgage brokers and realtors, typically the the starting point for that and, you know, different connections accountants, that you can get from there. Definitely accountants. accountants. Sure. That yeah. one gets lost in the shuffle a lot, but, but matters more than people think. Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, it starts to as a scale for sure. So it's yeah. really, really matter. And, and, and you need some legal advice along the way um, mm-hmm. in, in conjunction with that. Um, I, I, I think that's, I think that's probably the most overlooked thing myself too, is that upfront just conversation that you can map out, uh, you know, it's never going to be exactly what you map out at the start. Probably you're probably going to change, you know, you're going to have different opinions on things as you go about it, but it's just starting with something that's not just, Hey, I want to buy, buy a property because my friend yeah. did and I, I want to keep up with them or something like there's got to be a better conversation Absolutely. around that. That's Absolutely. And I think, I think to me, you know, a lot of clients, one of the things that, that I find clients respected with how we operate is that I'll be pretty straight with people. If, if I think you're making a stupid decision, I'm going to tell you you're making a stupid decision. Um, if you go to the bank and they can finance your stupid decision, they'll likely just finance your stupid decision. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's really our approach is we're, we're not interested in, you know, the one transaction that's in front of us where a lot of, you know, not just bankers, and I'm, I'm they're certainly not all bad. I was one once too, but uh, a lot of times the industry as a whole is just very transactional. It's like, I need this mortgage. Okay, let me help you get this mortgage. But it's like, if I give you this mortgage, you're not going to be able to get the next three mortgages. So are you sure you want to do this? Right. Um, but that's kind of the way our company was crafted. So our, our breakdown, we actually have kind of two distinct operations. We have Vision Mortgage Group, which is our, our residential division, helps everything from kind of first-time home buyers to, to larger residential investors and everything in between. And then we have Vision Capital Partners, which is our commercial division. And then that spills into people looking to get into industrial, larger multifamily residential, you know, vacant land development plays, all that type of stuff and, and go in a, in a different direction. And so for us, um, it's really important to me that we can create this like holistic approach, right? So that we can be here the entire way along your journey um, and make sure that we can kind of provide different advice and guidance and options and thoughts and consideration on, well, hey, maybe you want to look into this because I think this fit, this type of lending, this type of investing probably fits your profile better than what you're looking to do. It's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a lot for new people, especially. I think that... Um, having someone that can help clear up the vision too, or even help create a vision, right? Like where, where, you know, they're just like, Hey, I'm thinking of getting started in investing. Like what's the best way. And maybe having some guidance on, on setting them up where, you know, they might not have even thought, Oh really? Like number two, I wasn't thinking about number two. I was just, you know, looking at what was in front of me here and thought I should get going. So this is going to be a, um, you know, very helpful for a lot of people, I think. How can my people get part. with you? Yeah, it's, it's definitely my, my favorite part is helping people set that strategy. It's, it's <clears> So the reason, and, and I never, I didn't get a chance to mention this, but the reason I, I moved back into the lending space from wealth management was that I really felt like I can help clients grow wealth better through leverage 
than through traditional financial and wealth management products. And so helping people craft that vision is, is kind of the reason I do this. Um, anybody that wants to get in touch, um, David at visionmortgagegroup.ca um, or uh, at Ask Vision Mortgages on our Instagram page. So feel free to uh, send me an email or shoot us a DM. Um, post lots of content, topics, rate updates, Bank of Canada economic updates. So feel free to, uh, to give us a follow and, and uh, watch some of the content that we put out. Hopefully help give you guys some guidance along the way with what's going on. But uh, it was a pleasure to, to jump on with you, uh, Sandy and Rob. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on. And, and all of those um, ways to contact you are going to be in the show notes. So anyone who didn't catch those there, uh, just go over to the website and look in the show notes. And we've got both of those, uh, your email and the, um, and the Instagram uh, contact in there. So yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate this. And and there's there's so much, right? Obviously, we can't touch all yeah. of it, but I think yeah. we I think we did a, a good broad sweep of uh, of a lot of stuff in there. So maybe at some point um, we can have some more focused conversation uh, on some different topics and and have you back on. Absolutely, yeah, happy to. Yeah, I think that was a great. I think that was a great like eye opener for a lot of people, probably especially in today's market where the general. Mm. I, you know, I just keep hearing this, even though maybe things slow down in terms of mortgage hikes and all that, but it's just people are the fear out there and they just don't do anything. They don't explore and learn about types of opportunities like this and yeah. they don't know what's out there. And when you dive a little deeper, mm-hmm. there's pretty cool opportunities, especially that commercial world. So I think, uh, yeah, we definitely want to recommend everyone to, to hook up with David here and, and uh, use those links and, uh, and email and everything to connect with him because as you can tell, he's got a, a wealth of knowledge in this space and I'm sure it could set you up for a, a much more purposeful approach to investing and scaling than, uh, than you probably can come up with on your own. I know I, I need help with that stuff on my own uh, rather than do it on my own as well. So um, definitely reach out to him. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Sandy, how can right. people get in touch with you? Uh, Sandy at McKay realty network.com or find me anywhere on social media. And I wanted to send people over to somewhere new uh, on Facebook. You can go to Point Break Homes CR. Uh, we've just got that page up and going so you can see what we're doing over here. And also, as usual, reach me at Rob at MrBreakthrough.ca. Uh, appreciate everybody coming out today and like get started. Th- start thinking about your vision, guys. That's, that's, that'll, be, that'll be today's sort of. Uh, call to action. Uh, just start thinking about your vision, you know, and see where it goes and, and contact David and uh, bring some clarity to it. All right. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks everyone.